A fabulous free kick from Leighton Baines. Dawson, oh, what a finish from Ben Dawson. It's 2 0. It's scored by Tim Cahill in injury time for Everton. Matheson, the 16 year old, to Wilbraham, the 40 year old. Stunning from Hamis Rodriguez. And here into Henderson. And Ian Henderson. Welcome everybody to episode 3 of the Men in Blue podcast. My name is Greg, I'm a Rochdale supporter and I'm here with Jimmy and Matt who are both Everton supporters. We have a special guest today, our first guest of the podcast. We have Femi who's a Liverpool fan. How are you doing Femi, okay? Yes, I'm great, thanks. How about you guys? Buzzing. Yeah, all <laughs> yeah, all good. Can't really complain after this week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As much gloat as we're going to give Femme, because we like you. You're a decent rad. <laughs> we've been mates for many years, and we've t- I've taken enough flack in the time, and you've never dished it out, so I'll be nice. For the listeners, myself, Jimmy and Femi went to University of Huddersfield. Well, we've been in contact ever since, haven't we, really? We've been yeah. out around Huddersfield, around Leeds, around all different places, haven't we? Leicester, all kinds of different all sorts. I think, football I think it's the longest everywhere. we've gone without seeing each other. Italy. I think this is the longest we've oh, gone without seeing each other. Of course, I think it is, yeah. You two went to Milan, didn't you? Yes, me and Femi and John Warburton, yes. we went to Milan. But me and Femi, well, Femi will I'll tell you shortly, actually. We uh, refused to pay the uh, the prices. Milan Derby, didn't we, Fem? Yes, like they, they tried to scam us because we're English stories. <laughs> but, uh, and, yes, that... and now the San Siro's going. Do you regret that decision? You might never get a chance to go and watch Milan Derby at the San Siro ever again. I don't regret it because we actually had a tour. Uh... So we, we've actually been in the San Siro, had a tour. It was just that we didn't go in to see the Derby just because like we tried to, we left it, left it a bit too late for the tickets. And then on top of that, they tried to charge us almost double or triple the actual price when we were there as well. So. Am I right to think as well that John paid up and actually went to Derby on his own? Yes, he did. John went in the stadium on his own and me and Femi watched the Derby in a, in a pub in Milan, didn't we, Fem? Yes, yes. Yeah, great atmosphere there it was as very well. Great. It was a brilliant atmosphere. Like, for, um, you know, if you can't get in the stadium because the prices are extortionate, Fem- me and Femi had the second best option there, really. It was absolutely rammed full say, of It's pro- probably a good way to do it. It's just to go and sit in a bar, have a drink, and be with the locals, because it must be a ticket that's dead hard to get a hold of, especially at uh, Milan Derby. I can't remember how much John paid, Femi. Can you remember? Was it about €200 Euros or more? I can't remember, but the tickets weren't that hard to get hold of. It was mainly the price, and then also there was a discrepancy because um, we saw the prices on the actual official website, and then when we got there in person, they upped the price higher than what was on the actual ah, website right. so it was a bit disingenuous yeah. to be right. to be honest it was a little so. bit well we didn't know really we didn't know whether to get them before the game or wait a few days whilst we were in milan and i can't remember the outcome of how how we came about waiting until we were in milan but they were too expensive anyway but the tour were great yeah the tour was really good we ended up going in both the dressing rooms around the stadium in the little museum but they have outside and yeah yeah it was Good crack, actually. If we were to go now, it'd be interesting because there's lots of stars that used to play in England now in Milan. Yes. Yeah, Inter have got mm. a lot. A, a lot, Inter land. They've got, what, Lukaku? Lukaku, Ericsson, Sanchez, Ericsson, Ashley Young. Oh, God, yeah. Ashley Young, still there. Yeah, like, before that, still, Vic, yeah. Victor Moses was there on loan, like, last season. Ibrahimovic for AC mm. Milan. Tamori's on loan yep. at AC Milan, yeah, so... Right. When was the derby? Was it last... Last weekend into racing. Milan, Milan Derby. It was last, yes. yeah, last weekend, yeah. Yes. Into one, didn't they? Into one. Was it 3 0? I think 3 0. Lukaku nil. got at least mm. one. Yeah, last one. He assisted. I think he assisted the first one. Yeah, he assisted the first one. Then Lataro Man- Martinez yeah. scored. He scored the first two goals and then Lukaku on his own. Third goal. Mm. It's not, not say he's found his level, Lukaku, there, but he's definitely got a league which he's going to excel in. I mean, I, as an Everton fan, I personally loved him being at Everton. I got his how the other fans weren't a big fan of him, always talking about leaving and going to a Chelsea or a Man U. But you can understand why he wants to. But he's definitely found his feet in there at Milan. And you know what? I'm happy for him. He was always pretty good to us. Always, you know, scored a lot of goals for Everton. Good luck to him. Yeah. To be fair, he's always scored a lot of goals exactly. wherever he's been. So mm-hmm. West Brom, Everton. Even though it didn't work out at Man U, he like um, he still he got, scored there. I yeah. still remain that he's their best striker, oh, yeah. 
Like, even though it didn't work out, like, they could really do with his goals as well. We, so, yeah, I mean, imagine yeah. if United had him now with Fernandez supplying. They'd be unbelievable. It'd probably work now, wouldn't it? In a weird mm. roundabout he, he way. He could win the league with them yeah. now, but... Cavani is starting for them, and, like, Lukaku is much better right mm. now. So, he's, like, a Cavani type, but with pace. Yeah. Speaking of derbies... We had Liverpool-Everton-Merseyside derby on Saturday. I'll go to Femi first. What did you think of the result and the performance, Femi, from Liverpool? Obviously, I wasn't happy with the results as we lost. Like, any time when you lose, it's always bad. But I would say that it was quite an interesting game tactically. I was happy with some aspects of the Liverpool performance, but I just feel now with injuries that we're a bit missing in both boxes. That's, that's what I would mainly say. But I think tactically, Carlo did a brilliant job because, like, I think it was a 3-5-2 and, like, playing James Rodriguez in a mm. false nine, like, re- really innovative. Yeah, agreed. Well, I think it was um, with James, all you have to do is, we find he tends to be quite quiet in games and then all of a sudden he'll pull out a pass like he did for Richarlison's goal, where no other player, certainly in blue on that pitch, wouldn't necessarily have seen that pass or been able to execute it, certainly, and he... You know, he, he wasted so beautifully that, you know, Richarlison was able to just play the offside, trap, get behind the, the defence and then slot it. Third minute of the game, you think, this isn't normal. This isn't, you know, we were almost saying that, weren't we? Oh, God, we scored too soon here. You know, we've yeah, got to try and defend for 87 minutes. We've got to try and shut them out. How's this going to work? <laughs> this isn't going to happen. Right? This isn't going to work. I didn't it's enjoy awful. it. <laughs> I'd rather concede in the first three minutes because at least then you know, you, you know where you stand. <laughs> can switch it off. It's nothing worse. You can switch it off and go to bed, yeah? There's nothing worse than when you go one up in a game where you don't expect to win and you're like, are we actually going to do this? I'm actually going to watch this now. Oh, no. <laughs> from, but... from, a, from a blue point of view, there was, I mean, for them, my, me personally, there was this disbelief that, oh, my God, we're winning at Anfield. And then it, mm. it went from sort of excitement to, oh, no, we're winning at Anfield. How is this going to go wrong? Because it always does. We always find, well, apart from this weekend, we always do find a way of it going wrong. And it's mm. it, it's almost part of the fun well, is just discovering how badly we're going to mess up. Just to back up your point, Matt, I've actually done the research on Everton at Anfield. Go on. Since the, since their last win, and this little competition's played 23. This is before Saturday. Won none, of course. Drawn 10 and lost 13. Scored 14 goals in those fixtures and conceded 40. Wow. I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised at 10 draws. And yeah, so was I. That was the biggest thing. That I had it a me. lot less. It was, although uh, it was our first Anfield clean sheet since Moyes' last derby in 2013. Jeez. It's only the third time we've scored more than one goal at Anfield in this millennium. Yes. Gosh, Which, considering sense. one of them was a 2-2 draw in 2011 and the other was a 5-2 defeat that saw Marco Silva sacked, doesn't really count. The fact that it's our first derby win at all in 24 attempts... The last one being that 2-0 win in October 2010, which you and I watched in the Huddersfield Students Union, Greg. Femi, you might have been there as well. Oh, we did, yes. That was when you I had, like, Koncheski and all that, and Roy Hodgson was, Roy Hodgson was Liverpool manager. Oh, wow, oh, wow. And David Moyes was <laughs> Everton manager. Wow. We are talking nearly days. 11 years. Um, wow. And to absolutely put it into ultra perspective, Arteta scored in my last derby win. Since then, he's retired, become an Arsenal manager, and beaten Liverpool as a manager before Everton have managed to beat Liverpool again. <laughs> That's saying something, isn't it? So who got the first? Oh, it was Tim Cahill. Got the Cahill, first, which so I do saw a lot on social media about our oh, Everton celebrating like they've won the cup. Oh, you know they've won the league at their cup final. Well, it's more disbelief, and also when you've got such a wretched record at any ground, not least your nearest rivals, a quarter of a mile across the park. I mean, if it had been the point where Liverpool hadn't won a Goodison for 22 years, hadn't beaten Everton in 11 years. You know, understandably, Reds would be going crazy as well, or if it was United. It's, exactly. it's rare that we ever do this. And, I mean, I must point out, though, our, our away record of winning has actually gone on. We've had a longer winless record at Chelsea and Arsenal than we are Liverpool, which, is made, which isn't made enough of, really. That actually, well, our last win at Arsenal, last win at Chelsea, was before 1999. Even down to the 2-0 win, the biggest Anfield win we've had that was since February 1986, that was also 2-0, where Kevin Radcliffe and Gary Lineker scored. But prior to that, the other 2-0 win after that, before that, sorry, was uh, 1970, title winning season. So we've only won 2-0 three times at Anfield in 50 years. One was Saturday, one was 1986, and the other was 1970. But interestingly about the goal scorers that day in 1970, one was Joe Royal, 
who was Everton's yeah. last trophy winning manager. And the other, Matt, you might know the name, was Alan Whittle. Alan now, Whittle. anyone know the Alan, Alan Whittle connection? Alan yes, Dex, he's the um, young lad that plays in midfield. He's uncle. Yeah. Tom Davis's Tom. uncle. Yes, I, I, I thought that was the wow. connection from last week that you mentioned mm. to me. I mean, I think so, to put a bit of perspective yeah. into it, it was such... It's an odd way to describe it. And I read... I got a bit... Most Liverpool fans I've spoken to about the game have been absolutely sound about it. And said, agreed, you know what? agreed. Across the 90 minutes, you deserved it either way. I think from an Everton point of view, it's just that psychological thing. There's always an element of when we go to Anfield, you'd see teams and there's the amount of times before games where Everton have been in form, Liverpool have been out of form, and you thought, this is it, this could be the moment we do it. And again, the ingenious ways we find a way to mess up is incredible. Someone like Angelotti, I think what he did very well, I think Carragher spoke about it on uh, Monday Night Football on Monday night, is he took the emotion out of it. And it's a case of, it's just a game where we're just going in away from home it's no different to Wolves, to Leeds, to, you know, all those teams around us. It's three points. It's three points if you want to get, you know, European football. And he nailed it. It was brilliant. I mean, from Liverpool, I've got to admit, it's not the side they were last season. If you take out Van Dijk, Gomez, you know, all those players, they lost Henderson, what was it, 25 minutes. It's not the same team that it once was. And I do feel for them because you take this, you know, an element of the spine at that squad, it's going to struggle. The only thing I will say against them, the bit that would worry me if I was red, a lot of the players just don't look, not they don't bother. There doesn't seem to be this urge. It's like this, they all just seem to, when they go 1-0 down at the moment, to kind of settle and say, like, okay, well, we're going 1-0 down, that's it, we're going to lose. It's a real, I don't know, I can't think of a way to describe it. I watched them on Saturday panicking my own way, but I didn't think that there was that intensity that Liverpool really have. A lot of them just look tired. I mean, Femi, you'd be the, you know, you're a red, you'd be the person to either agree or disagree on that one. I, I don't agree that, like, it's a, it's a motivational thing. I think that they could do a lot of different things tactically. Mm. So, for example, like, even Liverpool normally play a 4-3-3. Free, free, free. So, for example, they don't need both fullbacks going up. They could do something similar to Man City where one of their fullbacks is in midfield a bit more. So that's what City do with Cancelo. I think Trent could do something mm, yeah, like yeah. that. Or if Liverpool wants to play exactly the same way, I think something like a 3-4-3 free, free, where it's like this is like pre-injury to Fabinho and Henderson is that have one of Fabinho and Henderson in the centre of the three, have the two centre-backs and then you have your wing-backs, Trent and Robbo, midfield you can rotate and then it's the front three. So I would have liked to see a bit more different things tactically so it can freshen things up. People, people like, I just feel like at this moment in time that... When we push high at the pitch, it's a lot easier for pe- the other clubs to counter-attack. But if they did something like a 3-4-3, it mitigates that because you've got always three defenders and we can still attack in the same way. Mm-hmm. The thing I noticed is that, it, it, I don't know where, it's not a case of you being found out, but the likes of Burnley, Brighton, that kind of thing, where they went to Anfield, knowing they could sit back, and as long as they didn't concede, the longer the game went on. Liverpool just looked a little out of ideas, and I think I agree, I think that they need something a little different tactics or something i mean the, the henderson's out now apparently for about 12 weeks according to what i read this afternoon wow. um and they've got jota back for this weekend which is a big plus because he's been a big miss as well but it was a strange one like so I, i'm still in an element of disbelief that we won at anfield because i didn't think i'd ever see it again in my lifetime it was uh, as a 28 year old man but it did just feel like liverpool just very quickly ran out of ideas and mm. what's the saying about you know they do the same thing over and over again expecting different results. I mean, that's not to say they didn't have chances. No, Henderson, the great save in Pickford. Same for Salah in the second half. And Liverpool were there. A bit of extra luck might have, had a, might have had a chance or an extra goal either way. But it did just feel like a Liverpool side that just needs something different in it. It just needs a little... And probably not even a lot. It needs something which is going to open up Thiago to really show his quality because he's a great centre mid. You know, the, the jokes are flying about about him not performing, but he he can't take away. He's a fa- you know he's a world class centre midfielder. But yeah, it's just, it's a strange period for Liverpool because it's, you just can't quite imagine one day to the next. Like the European game against Leipzig, they were brilliant and they battered Leipzig really for ninety minutes. But yeah, they do feel as if they're a little. Just needs something. Needs a spark from somewhere. I think one of the problems was like the Liverpool blueprint was not to play creative midfielders in midfield. Now that's changed because Thiago's there. But I think with the injuries, like Thiago's had to defend a lot more than probably he would have mm, liked, yeah. and then get on the ball. But that's why I say a change of formation probably would have done it. And if Liverpool organised their transfers. Okay, let's get through December, start of January, Kabak and Davis. 3-4-3, three, three, we rotate, this is our new formation, 
let's see how it goes. Like, I just feel, even though I love Jurgen Klopp, I just feel like he hasn't been proactive enough in trying to change it because mm. if we've got a soft centre, then we obviously need more defenders to stop the amount of counter-attacks teams are having against us. No, definitely. It's interesting you mentioned the signings as well. I rate Kabak, but he's struggled to adapt, I think. You saw against Leicester in, in the derby and, and, you know, say the least, but... Curiously, you were obviously very unfortunate with the Henderson injury, injury and with him being out for report of 12 weeks is really harsh. What got me, though, is you had Ben Davis on the bench and he chose to bring on um, Nat Phillips instead at centre-half when you've just bought a centre-half from Preston. What does that really say about maybe Klopp's confidence in Davis? He's finally signed and maybe it's just a stopgap or just to like... I don't know. I don't know what you make of that, really, whether you think he was right to bring on Phillips rather than Davis or you think he should have, you know, had some faith in his new signing rather than going with a young lad who's a bit inexperienced. I've heard from Liverpool Twitter that Davis has had been carrying some injury okay. issues, so... Maybe that's the reason why he hasn't rushed in. I think you'll trust Davies because he's left-footed and like like most like managers like Klopp and Guardiola like a left-footed centre back to balance out play. Right. I think that'll do, but like I, I definitely think he should have changed things up because it's, at this moment in time we should get the top four. But now I'm a bit worried because like if he doesn't change it and we keep on doing the same thing. Now I'm a bit worried. Now I'm like, and then the transfer window is mm. gone. So it's like, what's he going to do with this squad? Because like, he needs to change something if we want to get the, the results and positions that we want. I think it's no, a tough definitely. one because teams are definitely going to start going to Anfield now thinking, we can get a result here after, you know, three teams who Liverpool should be beating at home. And I include Everton in that because, you know, they're a level above us still either way. It's the, gla- the gap is closing, I think, with either way. But Liverpool still got the firepower that we don't really possess completely yet. But yeah, it's, it, they need... I mean, it was Soonest spoke about it after the game as well and saying they're, they're, they're a little like soft touch. And I've got to agree. I think it's just this... It must be confidence. They must be probably at a loss as to what's going on. Um, I mean, Firmino, for me, looks so bereft of confidence. And every chance he gets through... I mean, there was a great assist to... Yeah, it was Leicester, wasn't it, where he assisted Salah? And he's still got bits of quality, mm. but he hasn't performed to the level he was probably a couple of years ago. And maybe I can see him going on, going in the summer. Or now Jota's back. Jota will fit into that front three better than Firmino will. But yeah, it was a strange, strange game. Because like you said, we scored in the first spot for two and a half minutes. And it really was a game, case of, oh no, we've scored far too early. This is this is not good. Um, followed by 80-odd minutes. It's almost panic. like, what's the catch? We've scored at the cop end yeah. at three minutes. No, 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 seriously. What's, 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 what's yeah. really going on here? What's the, what's exactly. the catch, guys? And it was like, uh, there's no catch. I mean, I have to say that second half, you came out, Femi, Liverpool, and I was ready for you to score because it was like, We've seen this before. Mm. They come out second half, they'll blitz us, they'll score two or three, and it'll just be like, oh, well, that's, you know. And I have to say, it was probably the best Everton defence performance I've seen in a long, long time. Looking back yeah. on match the day, I mean, obviously, when you're watching the game, you're nervous because you're like, it's live, and you know what we're like in derbies, or any game for that matter, and you're like, we're going to concede, we're going to concede. It's just a natural ingrained mentality, which we need to get rid of as supporters. But looking back, Pickford and Keane, admit I will point out those two, who have had their criticism, looked so in control and looked so confident at the back. And I thought, we weren't going to concede. Uh, you know, obviously, when you watch live, you panic, you think you will. But when you look back, they had it really sus that day. And that's big for them players to go to Anfield. And for Pickford, particularly given everything, I know we haven't brought that up yet, but I'm going to, you know, bring it up. It's going to happen. You know, we know what we're talking about here. He was all eyes were on him at Anfield. He's had his mistakes there. He's had other instances that have gone on Derby games in the past. And he's... He's had mistakes as well, and he looked like not just an Everton goalkeeper, but an England goalkeeper for the first time in a long, long time. I thought, you know what? That's his best performance in an Everton shirt for me, Pickford. Yeah, I'd agree. I was looking at the some of the player ratings on one of the apps that I've got. It had Pickford as 8.5 out of 10, and then it had James at 7.7 out of 10, Coleman 7.4 out of 10, Keane 7.3 out of 10. So basically, you've got quite a spine there of Everton's starting mm. 11 that are all... Seven and above out yeah. of ten performers. Something that I've, meant, I've I've noticed also with Everton is Everton had twenty eight point six percent possession throughout the entire game. To me, it looks like Everton's success in some games this season has been predominantly dependent on less possession. That's something. If they can do that with minimal possession, could could they still be converting chances with more possession? Do you think is that something that they can build on, not having a lot of the ball and getting more shots and more goals with more possession in other games possibly well that has been our issue if you look at uh, we played Fulham we we were, God, we were awful. awful it's the worst I think the worst I've seen all season our away record is massively better why I 
I can't quite figure out because you can't use fans as an excuse because there's no fans at any games. So All I'll say, Matt, that. on that, sorry to interrupt you, is that cool. I think our away records improved because, as Greg's pointed out, we played better on the counter. When we go away from home, teams will come at us and leave themselves exposed at the back and you've got pace of Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, you've got the wingers cutting inside, playing on the break. I mean, someone like Alex Awerby, for example, has looked really good at times this season because he's, he's quick. You know, when he can cut inside and he can get a good cross in. I think that's why our away record has improved because teams will come at us and we're better on the break. So to, to link it with your point, Greg, about if we have more possession, I actually don't think we should try and aim for more possession because our problem has been at home when teams like Newcastle and Fulham, no disrespect to those teams, have come, they've sat back. We've had to have the ball and we've done not as much with it because we can't break them down. Yeah. Whereas we want teams to come at us like Liverpool came at us. In the end, two goals have come from a break, a breakaway where Richarlison's ran behind the defence and, of course, breaking up down the other end and the penalty was given. I think that's where our strength lies and there's nothing wrong with that. In the end, teams have won titles playing on the counter. It, it can happen. I'm not suggesting that's what we're going to do. But, yeah, I just think that's why our away record's improved because it suits us to go away to a team that comes at us and we just pounce on them on the break. I think the only exception to that was City at Goodison. I mean, City oh, were yeah. just relentless. Oh, that's City could win it. I mean, I watched them against Arsenal on Sunday and they went one up within... What was it a minute, minute and a half? So it was dead early on. Sterling got a header. What people? Raheem Sterling went ahead. Mm, like three yeah, minutes. Yeah, it was no time at all. The weird thing was you felt that throughout that 90 minutes, it only finished 1-0, but City at any given time could have gone, all right, guys, we'll finish this off and just would have gone and got a goal. Felt like once they got their goal at 1-0, they were quite happy to sit on it and just, if anything came for another more goals, it's absolutely fine. So, I mean, they're going to win the league. At a they're club, different level, just... aren't they, to the rest of the league? It's, oh, it's, almost, it's almost unfair. It's like they've had the pick of like the 11 best players in the schoolyard and yeah. the rest have just got to pick them amongst themselves. Playing FIFA on easy beginner mode, aren't they? It's just not fair. I mean, but... I mean they're definitely beatable. You have, you, know, you have to ride your luck a bit and teams mm-hmm. have beaten them this season, but this run they're on, was it 18 or 19 on beaten now, I think? Winning, isn't it? That's what I mean, winning every game. Yeah, yeah. like something like 17 on the bounce. It's winning. 13 Ridiculous. in the league, isn't it? And they've had cups and whatever else. They just look daft. I mean, the fact that they're playing half time without even a recognised strike and still mm. outscoring teams. I mean, the Anfield yeah. performance is one I use as an example. Albeit Liverpool help them out. Those mistakes don't just happen. You force teams into making those mistakes. And Allison's a you know, mm. world-class goalkeeper. I would never sit here and slate him because he's been brilliant for Liverpool. He's one of the main reasons they won the league last season. I would have to admit, once they signed him, they looked at another, another, a level apart. Yeah. But they just, they're just relentless. It's frightening to watch them. I mean, they're playing mm. tonight against um, Butch and Gladbach. Russian Munch and Gladbach, yeah. And they... they I think they asked Mickey Richards could they win all four cups and I don't think they will but if any yeah, team could do it I'd back them to do it just a quick one going back to Everton I noticed that some of the games this season beat Spurs away quite early on uh, you beat Leicester away beat Liverpool mm-hmm. away and obviously you got the dramatic draw against Manchester United at Old Trafford which was 3 all. Mm-hmm. so basically it looks like away from home you know you are beating four top six whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it teams is that something that Everton previous seasons probably wouldn't be doing that beating Spurs Liverpool all the top six teams is that something that's new this season that's completely Definitely. new this season I think I don't know how long it would be but I think if you look at those kind of sides, we went years without winning away from home. I mean, under Moyes as well, but also under... Well, Martinez did a bit with winning away at United. Under Koeman, dreadful. Under Silva, don't get me started. We we just wouldn't <laughs> turn up. It would be, as David Moyes would say, bringing a knife to a gunfight. You know, going away to bigger teams. And for that matter, not even bigger teams. I look at games like winning at Wolves and Leeds as well, which I know you didn't mention. We wouldn't have won them in previous years. We'd have lost them, probably. Our away record, we were lucky to get two or three away wins in a season in previous years. And that's not even a joke. You know, mm. genuinely. And against away teams win, in the top half, yeah, especially. Against teams that weren't relegated, like a Huddersfield or somebody, with all due respect. You know, we'd go there, win 1-0, script 1-0 win. That's like one of our few away wins in a season. So uh, this is really unusual. The yeah. difference I, I look at it, I mean, the best Moyes brought to, that, to an Everton side, you always knew we were a tough sorry we would be a side that's going to be tough to beat if you got a goal against us then we might crumble a little bit the difference with this team in particular is they look mentally a lot stronger they might go a goal down they might concede after but they will grind out results and Wolves proved that Leeds definitely proved that Leeds I still don't quite fathom how they came over three points but we did and it's those games that and put Liverpool is a prime example of that Liverpool is a game we better grind out a result I mean the penalty is that I can see as a red why you'd be unhappy it was given and in the same way that if it had been the other way around I'd have been sat there going ah never a pen get up by the laws of the game yes it's a pen it's soft 
but because he can't really control it but again the rules say that intent doesn't have to matter these days and in the grand scheme of things were Liverpool going to equalise judging on the whole 90 minutes probably not but it was nice to get a penalty at Anfield. It's been a while. I think Rooney got one in a couple of years ago. I think it's only our third penalty since the war or something at Anfield. Something daft. We were due one. It's fine. What's your opinion on the penalty, Femi? What's your take on, on the pen? Oh, my opinion? I didn't think it was a penalty in a million years. Like, it's like, basically, Trent goes in for the tackle. He's on the ground, slid. And then Calvert-Lewin knees him on the back of the head, makes contact with Trent and falls over. So, like, for me, whether it was Liverpool, Everton, whether it was a different fixture, for me, that's, like, never a penalty. And then what makes it worse is that it's almost like the ref pretends to see it back on the camera and then makes makes the decision. Never a penalty. It was a bit like... Yeah. So the first bizarre. view I went, it's not a pen. Yeah, I <laughs> didn't think it was went, either, to be fair. Caught him, I didn't it's... think it was. Um, no, I don't think none of us yeah. thought it was. I even said to you, Matt, at the time, didn't I? I don't think it's a penalty. I mean, On Matt, second viewing from a certain reverse angle, it looks like Trent does lift his leg and clip Calvert-Lewin. But it was almost a bit like with the VAR decision. It was a bit like happened that Saturday night takeaway bit, wasn't it? Like, go on, just just go and check the VAR. Just go and check. Right, give it anyway. Uh, you know, <laughs> just like, I did yeah. feel a lot harsher, Trent, because it, it was. Dancing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't was intentionally no intention. even he's, he's, What I will say is, Cavalier should really score, but we will ignore that point of view. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Should, should we get like, anyway? We should score, Dom. Bury it. the whole problem. Yeah. I mean, Dom, if you're listening, come on, mate. He's not listening. I hope he's listening. You never know. But it was a, yeah, at first glance, I did kind of sit there and go, that's not a pet. <laughs> it's not a pet no, in no. years. And I think my response to, we have a group chat between myself, Jimmy, and, and our dad. The worst part of watching football at the moment is he's always ahead of us watching it on live TV. We have to rely on uh, streaming sites. <laughs> yeah, so for, God, yeah. You're like, goal! What? I mean, about, <laughs> it's the way you just on? wrote penalty, and we're both like, which end? <laughs> the ball's down. The ball's in our uh, ball's in our area here. Liverpool are attacking like mad, and we does just text saying penalty. We're like to who? When he goes out to us, I'm like, eh? how? Oh, <laughs> About two is, minutes yeah. behind here. We need to get your dad on soccer Saturday, a bit like uh, Jeff Stelling and Kamara. <laughs> a penalty, Raven Cotton. But to who? I don't know, Jeff. You know, uh... I, don't know. <laughs> I thought they were going to sub on. Exactly. That's fun. Yeah, that's all the a... best. Thank that was amazing, me. that poor of Blackburn, Anthony Van den Borough. Yeah. That was amazing, that. Fem, I need, I need to ask you, mate. Well, I've got two questions, really. First off, what is your sort of revised expectations to Liverpool now? Because start the season, I'd have said, nailed on champions. I personally think you may have thought the same. But obviously now, with the way the Cups have gone, Europe, the league, what are you thinking? And secondly, and this is going to be a weird question, is it sort of a relief to finally lose a derby at home because is it one of those where every okay. year you expect to beat us at home because you, you probably do but in the back of your mind you're going one day they're going to beat us I dread the day they're going to beat us I dread the day they're going to Anfield I dread it and it's like it's a bit like when you win the league it was like I'm dreading it dreading it dreading it but when it's done it's like oh it's done now I'm over they can't, they can't hurt me anymore it's done <laughs> it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense or I'll answer your second sure. question first no I wasn't relieved <laughs> um, just, just because like I need um, particularly I need like this <laughs> this, this, nice to the monkey off your back though. like <laughs> this season like we had a really good prior to the losses like we had a really good yeah. home record so I think we weren't beaten for about three no, no, years with that home record I would expect expected us mm. to mainly beat most mm. teams to yeah. be honest my thing is that we need top four because like with the covid situation mm. there's a massive financial strain on teams so we need top four to qualify for the champions league and don't really have too much expectations with the champions league but if we could win it that would like mm. make up for the whole injury typical thing. So, you know you so, know what will yeah. happen we'll come fourth you'll come fifth and you'll win the champions league again would that stop everton being in the champions league if everton got fourth and liverpool uh, were fifth in the league i think they'll include yeah, five teams, five teams. Yeah. they did it with change. spain didn't right. they i think when yeah. i think severe won the oh, europa yeah. league the hey, winners go straight in. I can't really keep up with fourth and fifth and winning things at fifth and stuff. I can never remember. That will, right. that will be so typical of the Reds going. That will be standard, yeah. Van Dijk, miraculous recovery for the 91st minute winner in... Where is it this year, the final? Yeah. I don't know. Are they, are they set? I don't know. Is it Istanbul again? What's been weird this week, watching all the um, the games, is obviously because the likes of crossed. Germany and... Well, that's what I mean. There was one last night was in... Was it Hungary? I was like, what the yeah. hell? This isn't... Like, the away goals... Well, hang on, both teams threw away. I think the home team what? probably flew further than the away team to get to the game. I, I don't, I can't quite gather. I mean, I know, I, I know the reason why because it's money related. Yes, it's definitely Istanbul. Is it Istanbul? Is it? There you go. Yeah, it's the same stadium. That would be folklore, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, it's happening. 
Oh, it's happening, isn't it? Though? It's all right. It's all right. No yeah. Milan on in the European Cup this year. It's fine. There's no mystic. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yes, you do, Dick. Brush up your gloves. <sighs> Jimmy Traore. I still, <laughs> I still can't believe that. Uncryogenically freeze Traore and Bishkamp. Like. It still baffles me that team won a Champions League. How that team won it, I do know. Just, yeah. Milan, bloody Barros playing and whatever. Vladimir Smitsa. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, uh, the Champions League, uh, the whole... Why? I know why this is, because you wait for a heavily money-orientated. But why not just do one-legged knockouts until... Like the they 70s? did. Pre. It was great fun. It was brilliant yeah, last fun. Season. Yeah, at the end of last season for the COVID stuff, was it the quarters and the semis were all one-legged? Quarters and semis were one-legged. It was great. It was brilliant. It was really good knockout. I know the away goal stuff is fine, but it does seem a little daft to have teams playing away when you're at home. Atletico playing in, what was it, Bucharest last night? I forgot where it was. Somewhere. It's not a home game for them. Bernie stressing, like Chelsea going to win and away, and you're going, yeah, but they're not away because everyone's away. What? It's, it's a neutral game. ground, yeah. And also, you haven't got the fans there, so you haven't got the same atmosphere. So it's not exactly. It means less than it did in no- would do in normal times to score yeah. a win away game in Europe at the moment. Talking briefly about the Chelsea Atletico game, like I think one of the problems that Liverpool has has been a bit more strength and depth in recruitment. And like I, I this might sound fancy to you, but looking at Luis Suarez going to Atletico Madrid, mm. part of me is thinking. Couldn't Liverpool yeah. just done a cheeky bid? Mm-hmm. I think it was like five million pounds, if that, yeah. to get him from Barcelona to Atletico oh, Madrid. Could Liverpool have done that and say, "You're playing first team over Bobby, and then Bobby can come in later"? Like part of me what? is thinking that, seeing that Atletico are close to winning the yeah. league. Definitely, well, would have worked. Greg Dale, it's not been, not been a terrible week, has it? If memory serves me correct, not been the best week. A word that comes to mind would be attritional. We played Plymouth on Saturday at the Crown Royal Arena, and obviously it was was nil-nil. To me, it was an encouraging performance. I would say it was a better shape. Early on in the game, it was a better shape. Ten games or something we've conceded in the first 15 minutes. In this particular game, we were fine in terms of everything Plymouth tried. We managed to stop them. Paul McShane was solid. He managed to start the game. We've we've missed his experience, really. We've got quite a young squad, so we don't really have a lot of experienced players. And he's possibly the oldest and I think the most experienced because obviously he's played in the Premier League, he's played different things for Ireland and different things like that, Championship. I do lack that sometimes when he's not when he's not able to play. He seems to breed confidence almost like like a captain like a captain's qualities almost when he when he's able to play. I thought Oli Rathbone played well, got stuck in with some good passing and good tackles. Every time Humphrey's got the ball it, it seemed that Plymouth players were sort of crowding around him. So they're either doubling up on him or they knew that he is a target man. He is a bit of an issue. We need to get around him and stop him from doing things. I don't know if he was sort of like running into players or it was just the fact that they were just quick to get around him when he got the ball. It's one of those two. Newby went missing a little bit. Alex Newby. Obviously, he can be a match winner. He scored a few a few times for Rochdale in the past. So we, I understand why we start him sometimes. Something that's similar to Everton in, in some respect. We had less possession ourselves on Saturday. I think we had 38% possession we had quite a few shots. I'm just wondering if that's something that a lot of teams are doing generally this season. I don't know if it's sort of having less possession but creating more chances. I'm not too sure if that's something that it's just a bit of a coincidence. League One teams are doing it and Premier League teams are doing it, but we seem to be talking about that quite a lot recently. If I'm being picky, Aaron Morley probably needs to do better with some of his corners. I don't think any of them beat the first man, which is a bit of a problem really when you've got a corner. You, you want to really be taking advantage of set pieces and things like that or making the most of those opportunities yeah, especially um, when you're quite reliant on set pieces for goals as well you, you know it's it's one of those where you, if you can't beat the first man then you drive up your goal opportunities really don't you so it's just one of those that I picked up on I think I think a few Dale fans have picked up on it that he's just not beating the first man and if you can't beat the first man surely just play it short you know and then try and get it out and cross it in some a different yeah. way or try and get it in the box a different way. Just something that we can work on, a different variety mm. of taking a corner if it's not working, really. Mm. I'd like to see McLaughlin start. Covers more ground when he when he plays. Somebody put a stat on on Twitter about McLaughlin. He creates more, more opportunities, and there's like a little heat map, like a little, you've probably seen them all, the three of you, mm. of where the players run and things like that. It's sort of like he's an overlapping fullback, really, and he just, the map is, he's completely across and back down again and all this kind of stuff, so... He, he, he is a good player to start. So he came on in the second half. 
Oh, just looking at some of these stats that Plymouth haven't lost a game since Christmas. In some respects, the clean sheet needs to be sort of factored into into that result. If, if Plymouth are the top of the, well, I think they're in the top 10 or top 8 of the form guide, really, and we're at the bottom, then nil-nil. I'm taking nil-nil, really, you know. Neither. Well, after the results you've had where they've been like four holes and four threes and whatever else, a boring nil-nil is probably welcomed, I imagine. It was, it was for me. I mean, few past few weeks I've been asking, oh, I just want a clean sheet. I know Jimmy mentioned something a few weeks ago about just trying to shut up shop and just get the one nil win. But it seems we've sort of sorted the defence out a little bit. Mm. It's just it's just come at the sacrifice of not being creative over up the pitch a little bit. So mm. we have sorted the back out. It's just the front. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, well, it's funny you should mention a clean sheet because it's your first clean sheet since the 5 nil away win at Wigan which was the 15th of December. So that's two months since you've last clean sheet, which is quite a while. And in that, conceded 29 goals in 11 league games from the 19th of December onwards. So I saw that Plymouth game and thought, oh, they're going to get hammered. Because Plymouth are a decent side. They're a solid side going forward. Yeah. They got that Jeff Cop, who's a cracking player, who I expect to go to with Wales the Euros in the summer. Um, and there aren't many League One players that are going to the Euros. I think he'll go. But I thought from the highlights, I thought he looked really solid. Because, like I say, Plymouth are a dangerous and very organised team. And I think in the end, both sides just organised each other out. And your point on sort of less possession. I think it ties into what we spoke about last week about teams, certainly in League One, League Two, conserving their energy. Because there's like two games a week, COVID, all of this. And the less time on the ball, maybe you can conserve your energy and sort of manage the game better rather than going, you know, all out one week and then getting hammered the next, which is kind of what I think you were doing when you had your four threes, your four fours, your three threes. Is you were going all out hammer and tong and the players are probably exhausted. So it's good to get not just the draw you know, Saturday, but obviously as well last night. Fair enough, a lot of fans are saying, oh, we need to win, we need to win. You know, I understand we need to win, but... I was just thinking, well, clean sheet. We've not had one for a while. I'll take that. Fair enough. Let's go on Tuesday and see what we can do. Try and build on. Going into the Northampton game, Northampton haven't won a game since Christmas just gone, December. So a lot of Dale fans were saying, you know, branding this one as we must win this game. The game was dictated by really strong wind conditions, which is obviously a bit of an odd one, but the ball was flying all over the place last night. It was going up that way, going this way. Couldn't really get the ball on the deck and control the game as much. We couldn't do it, they couldn't do it. But that was the same for the derby, wasn't it? On Saturday, there was a first, it seemed all the game, that ball was getting played up, the ball was going forward, and no one could seem to control themselves. Quite windy, like, I saw the pictures of Jamie Carringer, that was quite yeah. funny, but to be fair, I don't think it had as much as an effect. Like, what I would say is uh, the effect was, like, the recent game, Leeds-Southampton. Yeah. yeah. So that that had a big effect. And Leeds' pitch is so is bad. Shocking, like, um, I think Bamford said in previous games that he had to put rugby studs in. We, we were at uh, Everson by the... It was just, I think, as the new pitch had been laid about a couple of days before. And there were players slipping everywhere. They just couldn't... I don't know what they've done to that pitch, but they couldn't find any sort of grip on it whatsoever. So, yeah, it's a, it must have been a, a recent thing. But I know I've noticed is it Robertson taking a corner on Saturday night, and he couldn't keep the ball still you put the ball down it kept rolling away because the wind keep catching it in the lower league ground I could understand it with a bit more open spaces at Anfield where everything's pretty much closed in it was a strange thing to see the wind take, having such an effect um, especially at set pieces I lost count how many times the Northampton players fouled our lads basically getting a bit annoyed with it so they must have took out Ollie Rathbone about five or six times. I think there were a few. I think there were a few yellow cards, obviously, for that. But they were kicking lumps out of a lot of our players. It was just a difficult game. I know they were being quite physical. I don't know if that's down to them like scratching and clawing for points in terms of bottom of the league and desperate to get points, or if it was a tactic in turn. They were they were pretty much just kicking lumps out of our lads for quite a long time. Good way for teams to break the game up, isn't it? If you want, if you're going away from home especially. You couldn't really get going, basically. Jimmy mentioned the other week about just shut up shop and go for the 1-0. That's what we should be, you know, all the fans just want the 1-0 win and that'll do and get the clean sheet and goal difference is better and things mm. like that. In in some respects, we've we've dealt with two sides in four in four days, technically, and we've got two clean sheets. That That's a positive in one in one respect. All six sides below us, their goal difference is a lot worse than ours. I think they're all minus 20, and I think ours is minus 14 at the moment. I think these two clean sheets are, are much needed, really, when you think of it like that. I know a lot of the knives are out from uh, a lot of Dale fans in terms of, we've not won, how come we've not won, and we didn't win on Saturday, we're not winning, we're not winning. Which, you know, I, I do share some of that frustration, obviously. It was a bit of a lottery in terms of the wind, the physicality of Northampton. We couldn't get going. It just made it a bit of a potluck game, really. I'm not angry too much, obviously, at two 
nil-nil results. Let's just try and build on from it, I think. Obviously, we've lost mm-hmm. a few games, and then obviously Jimmy mentioned the other, the other few minutes ago about the silly results, four-all, five-all, different, whatever it were. But this is a bit of a calm, in a weird, strange way, a nil-nil. It's welcome, in a way. Mm-hmm. Burton coming up next at home, who are bottom lead. They've just got Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, haven't they, as well, back as manager. They're on 25 points, you're on 28. There's like a three-point gap between bottom and it and... 18th at the moment, which is crazy. You're talking about the pressure on Brian Barry Murphy. Do you think that's a must-win game, Burton at home? Considering as well in your next five games, you've got Hull, Sunderland and Lincoln all away, third, fifth and second respectively. Do you think Burton's a three-pointers or bust for PBM or...? Obviously, myself and a few of the Overdale fans on the group chat, we were saying that these are three big games, basically. The Plymouth game, the Northampton game, and the Burton game, because they're all, you could say, in that bottom seven with us. Mm. It's like a mini-league, almost, when you look. They are huge games, obviously. I don't know how many times we can say, this is a must-win, this is a must-win, this is a must-win. Good that we've had that sort of run in terms of getting those three in a block. It's important that we don't lose the games. Blimey, if we would lose them. Oh, you know, it's it's not looking great. But, well, that's it. You know. Like I say, you've got your fixtures after that. You say you would take no more draws away at Hull, Sun, Lincoln, wouldn't you? I mean, that's three big away days um, against should... sides that are right up there. So the Burton game really has to be against the bottom of the league. You've got over it's a six-pointer, really, isn't it? It is. It's just difficult to play the teams around you. I know people will say, oh, you know, they're in bad form as well. Last night, it would, we weren't all that great, really, and they weren't all that great. So it's difficult when it's two teams that aren't doing all that great. Obviously, you mentioned some of the games that we're, we've got coming up soon. We drew with Sunderland. I've never took points off Sunderland before in, the div, in any division. So that was the first time this season that we we have took points off them, which obviously it was a draw. We we've got it in we've got it in the locker to be able to get something from Sunderland. It's just if we can turn up, basically. Sod's law, we'll get beat by Burton, and then somehow we'll get something from Sunderland. Go to but, Lincoln and win three 0 or something. It'd be like how fans expect us to perform against certain teams. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all, and you go, oh yeah, we should be beating them, and it doesn't happen. And then when we play Sunderland, it's like, oh, we're going to get battered, or oh, we get a draw. So sometimes we have done the unexpected or gone the other way. Yeah, this season, this season in particular, those results up in the in the Premier League, especially, are happening quite commonly. So you never know. A lot of home defeats that you don't expect, aren't there, in the Premier League this yeah, season? Probably. Look at Man United losing home to Sheffield United. I mean, one example of just yeah. a crazy result no one saw coming. We had two big chances. Quadro Bar should have done better with one of the chances. It pretty much, you can just hit that. You could just hit it and it could have gone in, I think, really. But you, you can have a bad game. He's, he's only young. Aaron Morley lost the, quite quite a lot of the ball in some parts of the game. McShane didn't play last night, so I don't know if that's sort of like a tactical thing where BBM knows that we got these block of games where it's three teams near us and he's playing him for one, resting him for one, and then playing him for... There might be something in that. But I hope that McShane does play against Burton because when he played against Plymouth, he was absolutely solid and they weren't getting past him. So hopefully start McShane and then we have a bit of a chance, I think, against Burton. Femi's assessment of Liverpool this season. Obviously, at the beginning of season, I expected Liverpool to be champions. I think with the injuries, it is a little bit of negligence with the centre-back situation because I was personally a never a big fan of Lovren. I wouldn't have kept Lovren, but I wouldn't have sold Jan Hoover, who's a mm-hmm. young player who can play both centre-back and right-back. And he's actually more talented than your Reese Williams, than your Nat Phillips. So I think just because normally, because of his height, um, Klopp wouldn't see him as a centre-back for Liverpool. But seeing the injuries happen this season, he would have had loads of games this season. Definitely with um, the recruitment, Firmino has dropped off and like, part of me is thinking even Luis Suarez right now is a much better finish than Bobby mm. Firmino and he can do Bobby Firmino things. Mm. So that would have been good. Jot has been a great signing because Firmino is so good in defensive midfield. He like does all tackles and interceptions before it even reaches the back four. So I think that's the biggest problem that Liverpool have had this season because even though I like Jordan Henson, he doesn't do that. Like the best way I can describe it, what Fabinho does is like a bit like what Conte does for Chelsea and what Ndidi does for Leicester, mm. but he's much better on the ball as well. So that that was a huge miss. That's what I'd say. That's the biggest miss of the season. So I think for the summer, they definitely need to recruit either a centre-back or if they see Fabinho as a centre-back, 
get a defensive midfielder with a similar profile. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind Ndidi like and coming from Nigerian descent myself. So I wouldn't say no. <laughs> On a word, fam. Just you talk about Keanu Hoover and the Jota deal dealing with Wolves. What I don't understand at the time, and it makes even less sense now, is why didn't Klopp go all out to get Connor Cody? He's a boiled red. He grew up with the club. He would have been a cost you a bit, but I tell you what, he's a I'm cracking sure defender. I'm not sure that's an issue with Klopp. I think that's an issue with FSG, and that's not to discredit them because they've come in and read them. Mm. No, the condition of that club when they came in was terrible. Um, Hicks and Gillette had left them in a pretty so- sorry state. Mm. And I think the biggest issue from my point of view with Liverpool, especially with signings, is Ferguson was a classic at this when you know with the United teams, you buy when you're strong. And I don't yeah. think they backed him enough. I mean, it's not to say that Quebec and Davis are, are poor centre backs, but you're asking Quebec to come in and basically be Virgil van Dijk. That's, yeah. that's when he's when he spent the first half of the season bottom of the Bundesliga, where his confidence is going to be low. So exactly. So I think it's you know recruitment. They've been unlucky with you know you lose three first choice sense halves that's yeah know, absolutely going to struggle with that absolutely going to struggle with that they can't have, you know no one can plan to lose mm. but especially were, van dyke and gomez yeah. for the season but they were already light on center halves and they're already given hoover to wolves why yeah. not try and throw connor cody into the deal i don't understand why he didn't get a proven center half put your money where your mouth is mm. and like you say spend when you're strong improve while you're on top because now it's going to be much harder position they're in to be able to get back up with the players they need we also know as well the teams are going to be aware that they need centre half so mm, yeah that's well. asking for a centre half you're going to be price um you know if by some weird situation they came in for michael Keane or for holgate or i don't know ben godfrey or you know any one of them we're not going to give them to on the cheap they're going to be you're desperate you know we know you need centre halves and maybe that was the issue in january maybe they have plans to go and get I've no idea. You know, looking at Upamecano, I know he's not going to buy or mm. someone along those lines. They had big money signings in mind, and probably those clubs went, "All right, our price is going up by a third. And it, it's tough. It's yeah. that's not to say they haven't spent money because Thiago wasn't, you know, wasn't cheap either way, and they 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 bought Jota especially. But you did feel they didn't quite spend it completely in the right places. And but yeah, they've been unlucky. You can't deny they've been unlucky, and the complete reshuffle that has that has caused even. And you, it does show how vital, especially as well, Henderson is is to that midfield. I'm not, I'll say I'm not a big fan of Henderson. I, I never quite got the hype, but the more I've watched him, especially as Liverpool captain as well, you do understand what he brings to that team, which is the legs he brings, the leadership, and he's, you know, he's becoming very quickly one of their most important players. And to be without him for 12 weeks again, you're looking at another reshuffle in midfield and it sends a half as well and I think now for Liverpool I think top four is a must I agree family top four is an absolute must my question to you would be would do you see the likes of Mane and Salah staying I would say first of all yeah with with the FSG model we're going to have to sell one of them to get somebody like an Mbappe or Haaland that's just their model I don't disagree with their model because it served us quite well like I agree to strengthening up the squad but I think it wouldn't have been like everybody was saying always being profit type thing. So I think we could have strengthened our squad. Like, for example, I personally don't think Divock Origi is good enough. I think Shakiri is a good player, but he's not a goal scoring pl- mm. player. And for that front three, we need goal scorers. Personally, with Connor Cody, I think he's decent. But I've seen some Liverpool analysts that I follow on Twitter like saying that he could make a lot of mistakes in a high line. I really think this 3-4-3 would have worked and Connor Cody would have mm. suited that 3-4-3 yeah. oh, yeah. because he'll just come in the centre and then mm. you have your other two centre-backs next mm. to him and then push mm. one of Fabinho or Henderson in midfield. So that mm. could have worked. So so that that's another thing. If if we were to sign somebody like Connor Cody and he counts as homegrown yeah. for Champions League, like trains at the club, so that could work. I, I definitely think one of them... One of Salah, Mane, or Firmino. Like personally, I don't think we'll get big money for Firmino because of his goal-scoring records. If I had to keep one, it would have to be Salah because I think he's really underrated. Like personally, for me, I rate him almost up there with your Henri's just because of that goal-scoring record. It, where are you gonna find a centre right that scores that many goals in his first season with Liverpool? He broke, oh, the, broke or equaled the goal-scoring record. Yeah. Insane. This is like better than Drogba. Better than Rooney, better than Van Persie. He broke that in his first season. He's done, I think he's got the golden boot twice. He's on course to do it again. I'll keep him at all costs. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like a very important player, really. If you can keep hold of him as well, 
could you could build around him. Yes, definitely. That that would be my idea. If Mane has to go, I'll take it because I think Haaland, I'm not 100% sure, but he's got a clause in his contract. It's like, so we've got Jota now. There's different ways of getting it, but Salah, I don't think you're ever going to get in the market. Someone similar. You're, you're talking no. Mbappe money yeah. to get somebody like Salah. Which I'm not sure Liverpool could necessarily, unless they sold big, could afford Mbappe and... and what other options he might have, or if he's winning stuff in France every year, would he go to Real Madrid only? Or I think that depends on what PSG do Champions League this week, this year. Mm, because yeah. Bear in mind, they're in a great. They, I mean, they battered Barca uh, last week. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that was down yeah, to Mbappe really largely, wasn't it? So, so it means he's that good. I mean, if he goes, it's going to be above Neymar price. Put it that way. It's going to be silly world record fee, silly money, silly silly money. Two fifty million plus, yeah. And you got to wonder what Liverpool would get. I mean, Liverpool have got a good record of. Selling players for big money. Coutinho comes to mind straight away. Torres, Torres in particular as well. Torres as well. Yeah, great example. Oh, I used to love um, Torres. Yeah, he was fantastic. I, I any, any club I used to watch him when I thought, "Cracky, he's a, you know, he was fantastic." He his was. early days, at, his early days at Madrid were brilliant as well. It was a real shame what happened to him at, at Chelsea because I agree he was on his day one of the best centre forwards in the world at that time, yeah. and just never worked out for him. It was. A, it was a bit, a bit of a shame. But yeah, I think Mane is the one I could sell in if they choose to. I think I agree with FSG's model is not necessarily sell to buy, but to be self-sustainable. But being the club that Liverpool are and being the world, the worldwide club they are, and having fan bases, as much as we joke about it being Evertonians and whatever else, but their fan base does stretch worldwide. I mean, this is that video in is it Melbourne, where there's got 80,000 people singing You Never Walk Alone. It shows the pull they've got. Could they not be a little bit more ambitious and maybe think mm, we could keep Mane, we could keep Salah, but if we is the, is the money going to be there to go and get probably not in Mbappe levels as such, but to go and get someone who's going to take that, that you know Firmino spot to the next level? I don't think FSG would stop their model because it served us well. Even like with something like the Mbappe deal, there's a trick because Liverpool have got sponsorship with mm. Nike. Nike could put in their money. Do a massive cam- marketing campaign. Was it added as did something similar with Pogba to Manu? Yeah. Mm. So I think that's something that they can look at. I wouldn't say it's unambitious. I just think it's just their model. Like, yes, they can strengthen. So I think this summer there'll be big strengthening. But you've got to think also, because of the COVID situation, there's literally, like, because I've done some research on this, it, it's like tens of millions. Is it almost like tens of millions at least? lost due to nobody coming in the stadium so people have got to be smart with their money as well so they're going to be due to that the market there's going to be some players that are going to be cheaper available which you would never think you know some players available on the freeze even though liverpool don't need it somebody like david alaba is available on the free that would automatically strengthen well well not on his (laughs) wages like i wouldn't be surprised if city get it yeah just because they like to cook the books when it comes to those sorts of things. I would like things, to see so. that, I'll be honest. I would like to see, even just for his season, Messi in the mm. Premier League. I'd, I'd love to see him in the Premier League. Just because... Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree. Not because of him playing for City, just because he would have to go to some interesting grounds, let's be honest. If the likes of Burnley stay up this season, Lionel Messi playing at Burnley on a Tuesday night is something I want to watch because it either be he'll run riot like he probably has done. Could you imagine if, like, for example, like Barnsley have a massive run towards the playoffs, get promoted in the exactly. first game of the season, Barnsley v Man City in the Premier League, and Man Messi's rocking up at Oakwell. That is just what you want to see. Then again, it's you great. say that though, he's got some right random grounds he goes to in Spain. So I mean, it's, it's not as if he's never played in like a little dainty ground before, is it? When fans are allowed to be back in stadiums, could you imagine if you know hypothetically City sign Messi? They go to Allen Road. That would be it's a bit of a cauldron, can't it? Sometimes Allen Road and can't be. We know, yeah. we know. I know a few Leeds fans and the diehard, obviously diehard supporters, diehard mm-hmm. fans. Could you imagine the amount of stick they'd try and give Messi? As mm-hmm. much as they love it, they'd be trying mm-hmm. to put him off. Also, Bielsa be Messi the New Orleans Old Boys derby. Both Messi and Aguero are out of contract this mm. season, so you could what just say doing? Messi goes City, Aguero goes Barcelona. No real mm. loss. Different players, but. Repl- replaces the goals either way. The moment is, if it's is Barca as attractive? Hold up. Yeah, because after let's face it, they're not a bad side. Of course they're not, but the recruitment has been interesting, shall we say? Um, they've got some great players, but it's a you look at their back line. Like Gerard Piquet was playing in the night, and he looked like he was playing in concrete for half the game. It was a real. It wasn't. I mean, weird thing to say. Moyes Keane got a goal, which is as an Everton fan is just bafflements in ways I can't imagine. 
the fact that he couldn't get a game at Goodison last season, the screen of Champions League lockout stage is just odd. The Barca team is not what it once was by any stretch. I think they're reliant a little bit, little bit on the past to a certain extent. And yeah, are they as attractive? I mean, they need it needs a it's a team that needs rebuilding. And I think losing Messi could be in the long run one of the best things they do because there's an, a reliance on him. And let's face it, he's not he's not in his mid twenties anymore. The guy's in his early thirties, and he's not the player that he it, that he once was to a certain extent. And I think maybe cutting ties with him, saying you know what, Lino, you were brilliant. You know, he's he's going to be a club legend, but that's, you know, it goes without saying. Maybe starting from scratch. Let's get some different players in. Let's try a different system. Uh, maybe Aguero does that. Who knows? If you, if you are Lionel Messi, where would you go? Would you go to the Premier League for two seasons? Would you go to MLS, make some money? Where would you go? What what would you do, fam? I think the Premier League is an interesting proposition. It's difficult, really, because it's like, I'll say the big leagues is the Premier League, Bundesliga and Serie A. So Serie A, he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to go there, but somebody like Inter, that would work. Mm. Messi yeah. in behind... Martinez and Lukaku, that would work. Um, With it's like FIFA level. Yeah, so I can, so I could see that. The only German team really is Bayern Munich, but his wages are so much that it's difficult. It's like City or maybe just 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 PSG. Say say Mbappe stay one season more. We're getting Messi in. Hmm. That could be a poll. That could Mm. be something. It's either that or he goes back to Argentina. I think, well, yeah, I was going to say, if you're Lionel Messi, bit of a Guardiola reunion at City, jet off to Inter Miami, soak in the Rays, play alongside Ryan Shawcross, which is everyone's career dream, (laughs) and then go and play for New York's old boys, like in your really much sunset years. I mean, that's, that's, you know, who knows? Maybe that's too many clubs, but I could definitely see an MLS move. I definitely can see. And I think Inter Miami would be the one to go to. Yeah. With Beckham in charge as well. Possibly. Well, it remains to be seen. He may stay at Barcelona his entire career. Who knows? I don't, I don't think he. I don't think he would like stay. I. I've got a funny feeling he won't because like, like what led to this like whole thing was that he had a gentleman's mm. agreement with the, the Barca president saying okay after the knockouts that we can, we, I can leave and then like they went back to the you know he like disagreed they had it yeah. you know they went back mm. on his word. So I think I, th- I think it will leave just based on yeah, that principle. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, let's face yes, it, Ronald exactly. Koeman and not then... exactly set up set, set that league like, mm. uh, it's, it's a shame to watch him. I mean, I will have to give also a special mention to Umar Nias. Again, Umar, if you're watching, listen, even talk credit to you. If, if anyone hasn't seen his Instagram story, it is beautiful. It's basically a picture of Everton winning the Merseyside derby, and is it the four-one? I think it's the uh, result, isn't it? Yes. And it's with the caption of something like, what a week this has been. And Umar, fair play to you. That is shit housing I can fully get behind. For context, if, context, if anyone was not the Umar and story, he was an Everton centre-forward at the time. Ronald Koeman came in to be Everton manager. He took his locker away from Nias in the training ground. So he basically had to base... He didn't have anywhere to store his gear, train with the kids, and was sat on loan to hold and not given a chance by Koeman at all. And for all accounts, Koeman wasn't very nice to Umar Nias at all. Well done, King Umar. The Prince of Senegal. What a guy. What a guy. What a, what a guy. guy. He was awful. But you know, what a guy. Back to Barcelona, that um I've I've actually got a barber who actually supports Barcelona oh. and he was saying that when like Barcelona um play, like they just tend to give Messi the ball and do and just let him th- yeah. do his thing. But when he's not on the pitch, all the other players step up. So it'll be interesting mm. to see how Barcelona I'm not a huge fan of Koeman, but they can be interesting rebuilding project there because if he were to get Depe and Wijnaldum on a free, that could work. They can rebuild, bringing some of their academy players, so it could work. Mm. And then uh, with um, aside to the PK performance, like one of the things probably he was rushed way back from the injury. I think the injury is supposed to be at least six months, and he's come back three months. And then Mbappe is one of the fastest players yeah, in the yeah, world, no. so. In my opinion, that was always bound to happen. We've had some questions from the listeners. 
on Twitter, Facebook, and different social media platforms. I've had a question from Tom Sheridan, which is a Berry fan. He's one of my mates. So Tom's question is, aside from Quadro Bar, who does Greg think will be the next young prospect from Dale to move on to bigger things? Great question. Thank you, Tom. So basically, aside from Quadro Bar, I'm going to go for Ethan Briley, which is one of the young lads at Rochdale. I think he's he's either 16 or 17, I'm not too sure. He was on the bench for Newcastle when we played Newcastle in the FA Cup just uh, about a year ago, roughly. And he made his debut this season against Huddersfield in the League Cup at Huddersfield. Obviously, we played them away from home and we won 1-0. He, yeah, he looks like a very good, neat player. BBM's obviously very confident in him in terms of having him around the first-team squad. Putting him on the bench against Newcastle is quite a big thing, really, if you're playing for Rochdale, I, I, I would say, anyway. Playing against championships, uh, getting, you know, BBM I'm giving him the opportunity to play against the championship side in Huddersfield. Obviously, Huddersfield aren't a giant club, but they're a lot better than we are. And it's if he's playing okay against that type of calibre of opposition, then I think he could he could move on to you know a bigger club from Rochdale. We've had another question from Anthony Ellison, who's a Manchester United fan. His question to all four of us is. What are your favourite football shirts of all time? It can either be club or country. I'm going to give two because why not? Who cares? Country, mainly for personal reasons, also I really like the shirt. It was an England home shirt. I'm going to say it was 2001. The shirt would beat Germany 5-1 in the red stripe. Oh, yeah. The the Bell and Sperling shirt. shirt, That one. But yeah, that for me was just... I think it was one of those shirts, I think, because it's full of... A lot of good memories. I think it was it the shirt used in the 2002 World Cup as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, memory serves me correctly. Which I know didn't. Beckham's goal against Greece. Yeah, but I think it was one of those shirts that, especially I would have been what nine, nine, ten in that period. It was released out probably when I was first really getting into football, or a lot of early memories come into it, especially the Germany 5-1 game, that kind of thing. Club shirts is a hot one to pick. Actually, I love some of the old Barcelona shirts. They were brilliant. They were shirts I was a real fan. I can't, I couldn't give any particular years, but when you go back to what was their centenary, was it centenary shirt? Um, 1999. Yeah, that was a lovely shirt. I'm actually going to say the Nigeria football shirt that was in yes, the World Cup. I knew you'd yeah. say that. Yes, that's a cork. So that. good. So like, I felt I felt that was really good. And it was interesting because when that came out, I started to see different people from the street who I never <laughs> thought would wear it, wear it. So for me, like, it was it was like really interesting. Some people let to say, if I were to go to a gym, I was like, oh, so you're Nigerian. <laughs> I was like, I never knew you were. So it was like a point of conversation yeah. as well. Yeah, people wearing it going, what part of Nigeria are you from, mate? What? Yeah. Croydon? Yeah. What's not in Nigeria? <laughs> that one comes to mind. I saw, I think, is it the Holland? Is it 88? Ooh. It's like orange. Yes. There, there's yeah. there's one, I think the Van Rue Basten. Bullet one, I think. You're 88. It's like orange, but it's got like a really nice um, pattern on mm. it. Yes, yes. So yeah, definitely. It's the nineteen eighty eight one, the Van Basten Ru- Rude Gullet one. That that looks really good. I've got a few like all club shirts, but this is gonna sound really weird. I've always liked Blackburn Rovers home shirts. This is gonna sound really bizarre. No, hear me out. That is weird. Yeah, hear me out right. because they've got the blue and white halves, and it's like an old style sort of Victorian. You don't see many teams that wear half and half shirts anymore. A lot of sides sort of started off like that and then changed their colour scheme down the years. Whereas Blackburn have always kept that kind of that black and that black and white blue and white half and half. But in particular, a massive fan of, and this is going to sound even more bizarre. Um, and I know Greg, I mentioned when you talk about the artwork, we're supposed to do for the podcast two weeks ago. Any shirt of the two thousand and seven eight sort of Umbro template. So Matt, you'll know the one, the Everton shirt that had the little yellow trim on the collar. But then Blackburn, yeah, West Ham, I think Hull around that time had that Umbro template. England's Umbro shirt, even though we didn't get to the Euros around that time. I always liked that sort of that weird sort of angle design on the collar that was really nice. There's some really nice away shirts as well. I can't pick it off my head now. I did a bit of research earlier. But yeah, any like sort of Blackburn home shirt or the 0708 sort of Umbro template. Failing that, of course, any Getafe Burger King shirt where you lift the shirt over your head and it's got a picture of the Burger King guy. I've not underneath. seen that. Look it up. Anyone listening, look it up. It's amazing. But... Or the another one from Spain, the 90th anniversary cultural Leonesa shirts from the 2014-15 season. Again, that's 2014-15 cultural Leonesa 19th 90th anniversary shirts. Look them up; they are brilliant. I'm gonna have to put a link the tweet. I I and I also apologise to any Burnley supporters that might listen. I I, I accept I've offended you with enjoyment oh. of Blackburn. Yeah. 
shirts. He may have, uh, he may have offended one of our friends, John Warburton, yes. with those yes, comments. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Not that we have many listeners, and I've managed to offend one of them. So, uh, my apologies sincerely. Go on, Greg, uh, what's yours? I've got a few written down. So, obviously, I'm a bit of video game sort of geek, a little bit. I like my PlayStation and my Nintendo Switch and things like that. So one of them that strikes out for me is he always liked the uh, Florentina kit, the purple home one with Nintendo on the front. Yeah. <laughs> is that kind of Football Italia kind of... Yeah, it's got that heavy Football Italia vibe, hasn't it, Matt? Yes. <laughs> um, that's one of my favourites. I, I should really try and get hold of that somewhere. I, I'm assuming it's expensive. I, I, I don't really get a lot of different kits, really, in terms of apart from Dale. Uh, but that's always one of my favourites. A few years ago, Bayern Munich had a nice one, which was like a like a light mint colour. I don't know if anybody saw that one. It's like a, obviously yes. The third one, which is one of my favourites, is this one that I'm wearing now, actually. So Very nice. I think it's about five years ago, six years ago. It's the Rochdale Away kit, which is yellow and black. But I always get Dortmund vibe a little bit, just a little, you know, not not quite, but yeah. similar. One special mention because I've just remembered it: the England goalkeeper kit from Euro '96. Yes, oh, mainly because that... it's so yeah. so bad. It's brilliant. I don't know who designed that kit, and they must have been on some kind of class A drug. But it's a brilliant kit at the same time. Also, special shout out for the Cox Sportif for their Everton 2010-11 away shirt, which was just bright pink. Don't remember that one. We, I don't it's, think we, we, we it, it's, 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 it's different, and um, I don't think, think we, so. I don't think we won a game in it. Remember we lost to Blackburn. I think Tim Howard threw the ball on his net on the first day of the season. Although saying that, they did then do a kit. I think it was the year after, which was black with pink lines. That on. was the year before Jackson I had that one with Jack Rodwell on the year back. Before even the 20, 2009 10 shirt. That was a nice shirt actually. Which looked good. Yeah, a few seasons good. afterwards they lost. The they, ball. They, they, yeah, yeah, they went a bit too pink. Have you got any Liverpool kits, Femi, that stand out for you? A Liverpool kit was white and aqua. The one I think that Robbie Fowler famously sniffed the line. That comes to mind. And and then also talking about the colour aqua, there is, they've got different variations, but Barcelona's aqua kit, like mm. I think, I, what comes to mind was a long sleeve with Messi playing with like their blue and red. Mm. Um, they've got different versions of it. A certain version mm. comes to mind, but like I tried to look it up, but like I think they've done so many variations of that third kit. It's difficult to say, but it's like the Barcelona kit that's got the aqua color. So Greg, where can we find our Men in Blue podcast on social media? <laughs> it's Men in Blue podcast on Twitter. We've had a few tweets, obviously. We've had a few questions from different listeners. I'd just like to thank Femi for coming on. Obviously, it's, Liverpool didn't do too well at the weekend, but we do hope that, I hope anyway, that Liverpool and Everton can both be in the top four. That would be quite something, wouldn't it? If they both of you end up in the Champions League, that would be um, something for... As a neutral, as a neutral, I'd like to see both of them do well, to be honest. Yeah, you still bloody win it. Yeah, that's it, yeah. We get <laughs> the final and lose, jump penalties. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me. Like, it was interesting because... I was thinking after the result, trust, trust. What was the chances of <laughs> Liverpool losing at home to Anfield and I'm on a podcast? So, so yeah, the timing could have been better. Oh, so, like, yeah, it was. It's it was almost great. as if it great yeah, it's almost yeah. as if Liverpool knew you were coming on the podcast, Femi, because we penciled it in about two weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's, really it's one of those. Where it's like, should we get Liverpool fan on for the, for the dog box? I'm going, no, they're just gonna rip no. it out of us. We're gonna we're gonna lose five nil, and it's just gonna be horrendous. He's gonna come on gloating. No, but in all serious, fam, thank you so much for coming on. You know, yeah, we love you. You're absolutely brilliant, and I would wish you best luck for the season, but I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, Femi doesn't wish Everton much. No, luck, exactly. So no, you're not even. serious, it. mate. You're a top. You're a top lad for coming on. Thank you so much, and it's been really interesting to listen to your insights on Liverpool as well, because you're very level-headed. You, you know, you want. You're a good one. You know, most football fans, we can agree, are sound. A lot of social media sort of blows up the rivalry between Reds and Blues or any club really and you see the worst of both clubs especially in Derby week but we're all level-headed fairly you know genuine supporters here we you know we respect when the better team wins or when the better team you know is successful regardless of our predisposed feelings towards them so no genuinely best luck the rest of the season thanks again for coming on mate we really appreciate it 